We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone. Welcome to the June 7th edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. Jim and I are going to be talking about his Beat Jim Coventry Rotowire Online Championship, which took place last week, Wednesday. We had alluded to it in the podcast a bit before. Excited to break down all the tips and strategies that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. What a high stakes redraft would look like. What would Jim do? What are the other plans that others are operating with? We'll go over the draft board as well, too, which we'll tweet out. Excited to talk about this. Let's get right to it. <laughs> Again, everyone, welcome to the June 7th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports, the Wednesday edition, Joe Bartle at JB Fantasy Sports and Jim Coventry every Wednesday at Jim Coventry NFL on Twitter. It's exciting. This is going to be your first high-end draft that you've done thus far, right, Jim? I know you've done a few like the, the Sirius XM ones on the radio that sometimes get played out, sometimes don't. But from a stakes perspective, this is the highest draft that you've done thus far in the offseason, correct? Yes, 100%. I've done a lot of low-stakes drafts of volume in those, but yes, the high-stakes challenge here, this is definitely the biggest one so far. You can tell that you were already pretty lucky, Jim, because you drew the number three overall selection in the Rotoir Online Championship. This is played on the NFFC format, so six points per passing touchdown, third-round reversal. But the part that I like more, and if you were to say, hey, what's one quirky thing we could adapt to fantasy more it's picking your draft spots. This is the Kentucky Derby style where you are ordering your rankings as to where you'd like to pick. Was the number three overall selection a target for you? So I was actually assigned a three spot. I definitely would not have opted toward the first part of the draft with the third round reversal. I would have been much um, happier with picking in the 10th or so range because I do like that third round reversal. But you know what? We make the most out of every draft position we have. Yeah. Last year, I did the the Beat Joe Bartle online championship. It was one of the worst drafts I've had all time. We had a lot of really high stakes people involved in that competition. So it made me feel better when my team was just utter garbage. But it was from almost the get-go that I was unprepared and very frustrated with my draft spot. I'm glad that it did not seem to affect you for the most part. We're going to talk about Jim's draft as we go on here again with the number three selection. Do you know if there was any higher end people playing in this, like other industry experts or or not uh, really aware of who the other draftees were? I only knew one drafter personally, Steve D'Angelo, and I've been in different expert leagues with him for almost a decade now, and he was the first one to sign up. But I did get a message from Greg Ambrosius before the draft. Got a bunch of sharks in your pool. I go, well, that's the only place I want to swim, so bring them on. (laughs) That's exactly right, yeah. 
It's important to note we are now in the midst of June, right? We're getting ready for draft season. There are a number of opportunities at RotoWare to start getting ready for fantasy football draft season. In particular, if you're listening to the show, obviously you've been keeping up with the fantasy news for the most part. There is a nice package going on right now with RotoWare, a 20% off subscriptions with DFS. Now, you can buy the DFS subscription, but to my knowledge, you're also getting all the other details that come along with RotoWare themselves. So you're getting ready for your football stuff. There's going to be a lot of draft coverage, specifically, again, fantasy draft, not NFL draft, although that might happen too. Whether it be best ball, dynasty, Alan does a lot of his podcast stuff, but we're going to get geared for more articles coming up to the site. And then overall, as we get into the beginning of July, lots more drafts will be taking place both on RotoWare and with many of our experts too. So www.rotoware.com slash sale gets you that 20% off right now, right, Jim? 100%. That was the one I was pitching on the stream. And yes, 100%. Rotowire.com slash sale, 20%. We don't do this. This is a major deal. You want to get in on this opportunity. It may not come along again. Like Jim said, this is not going to happen very often. So the 20% off, www.rotowire.com slash sale gets you that set and will help carry you through one month, four months, six months. I mean, you could kind of pick what level of tiers you want for that. And the discount will be available when that happens. So let's talk about your draft here, Jim. Again, number three spot, you ended up taking Jamar Chase with your number three overall selection. We've talked about for a month straight that we like wide receivers early in the first round. It makes complete sense to me that Jamar Chase would be your number three selection. Jefferson was taken number two. McCaffrey went number one in this draft. Were you hoping that Jefferson might fall? Were you kind of planning that you're not going to get the number one overall receiver in this year's draft class? So the NFFC brass, Greg Ambrosius and Tom Kessenick made me aware that that was the first time that Jefferson had not gone number one in weeks in an NFFC draft. So Jefferson has been the unanimous number one selection across the board. They were surprised that McCaffrey went. Okay, so McCaffrey goes number one, Jefferson two. You have Chase three, Kelsey number four. Cooper Cup 5. Given Cooper Cup's injury, more than likely, I would assume people are not selecting Cup over Chase. And Kelsey going number 3 is aggressive, but maybe not that aggressive. You have Eckler at 6 and Bijan Robinson at 7. I think Chase at number 3 is pretty unanimous too, right? What we're looking at here is we have a very young player, clearly a superstar, playing with a superstar quarterback. Those three things together lock him in for a monstrous floor. We don't know where Jamar Chase's ceiling is. I don't know that he has the upside he had in his rookie year. Defense has made a big adjustment last year. They were playing, the Bengals saw the most two high safety looks of any team in the league. Chase only had his two biggest games were 130 and 132 yards. Those were against NFC teams that had not seen him before. Otherwise, he barely touched 100 yards in a number of games. But his floor was so high. It was a lot of 80-yard games, a lot of seven to nine catch games. So, yes, he may not have that 260-yard game like he had against Baltimore in his rookie year. The league made their adjustment to the Bengals last year. The Bengals had an offseason to try to correct what the league did to them. It's possible that they come out on top. So maybe Chase even does have unrealized upside that I'm not accounting for. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You could talk me into taking Travis Kelsey number three. That's fine. I'm not liking a lot of the tight ends after Travis Kelsey. So if you want to put that premium on, I understand wholeheartedly. I think you're going to find the value in tight end 12 through 18 more so than investing a higher pick. You kind of have to pick either higher pick a quarterback or higher pick a tight end. You really can't do both without sabotaging some depth at running back and wide receiver. And we'll talk about some strategies others did later on in the show. 
I would take Chase at number three as well. The first round was three running backs, six receivers, one tight end. How about two quarterbacks in the first round? Now, this is six points per passing touchdown. Both Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts went top 12 overall. Mahomes went to number 10. Hurts at number 12. Yeah, Josh Allen go 14 quickly on the turn. He wants Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, Perry, the two Bills players. That has to be a little bit of a surprise to see quarterbacks go that high, even in this premium of a format. It, and that, however, is exactly what it is. The six point per passing touchdown is going to drive quarterbacks up about one round. And so I think on most leagues receiver, it's four points per passing touchdown. Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, second to third round. And it was across the board where almost all quarterbacks got bumped up a single round. It is surprising because they don't play in a lot of leagues with six points for passing touchdown. And it came very quickly. Are you a little surprised Hurts went ahead of Josh Allen in this format? We know that Jalen Hurts is a great runner, and especially to the goal line, that's where the value is to be had. But Josh Allen could possibly throw 40 passing touchdowns, which in this format would probably put him ahead of Jalen Hurts. Or is it more of a, you're picking your poison, both quarterbacks are going to be really good and doesn't make much of a difference? Remember, it's not just the 12-team league, but we're playing for the $250,000 grand prize. So it's very possible that Team 12 Hobbs had Allen ahead of Hurts, but he went with a quick stack, Hurts and A.J. Brown. And that may be geared at the $250,000 prize, whereas Team 11 had taken Diggs first, therefore 12 didn't have the option of going Allen Diggs. People do put a lot of stock into stacking with the jackpot leagues. I can't speak for Hobbs in terms of whether he had Allen or Hurts first, but my guess is it was the stack that he wanted. Okay, I can see that Jalen Hurts was the number 12 selection, AJ Brown 13. Diggs went 11, which got the layup going for Josh Allen to be number 14 in that instance. So the quarterbacks, two in the first round, three in the top 14. You had Justin Fields go to you, Jim Coventry in the third round, Trevor Lawrence very back pick in the third round and Lamar Jackson in the fourth round. It was Justin Herbert in round five that I found a little bit surprising. Like if we're pricing Justin Fields in the third round, Lamar Jackson in the fourth round, we talked about last week, theoretically a better passing offense. Okay. Shouldn't Herbert be a little bit higher too? Or are we just fading Herbert because the chargers have been so inconsistent and lesser than with all the parts that they have offensively? I thought Justin Herbert should have gone much sooner than he did. I thought he should have gone ahead of Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. Now, Justin Fields, I got grilled for this one on Tom Kesnick and Derek Bukar's show on Sirius XM after the draft because they don't see Fields in these six-point passing leagues going this high. My counter was, look, he had the second most rushing yards by a quarterback in NFL history. And I do expect them to make change in the offense where he is throwing more. And he has DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney. I don't know what Chase Claypool is going to be, but physical number three, maybe he does a little bit. Cole commits a solid tight end. I do think there's a world where Justin Fields can compete based on the potential for 11 or 1,200 yards rushing with the very top quarterbacks in the game. So, and again, we're in this $250,000 jackpot league. I want to swing here. I want to swing with Justin Fields because if he hits as a passer, look out. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Fields was a top four fantasy scorer week eight and onward. The only issue is you're not getting quite that same value as you were when he was available widely on free agent markets everywhere after a down start to the Bears season last year. Joe Burrow also went in the third round. He was in the beginning of the third round. Would you have rather had Burrow over Justin Fields in that instance? You know, I would have taken Burrow for the stack because I had Chase already. I definitely would have taken Burrow for that reason. I have Fields and Burrow very close on my draft board. 
but it's so hard to look away from that rushing floor. These quarterbacks who run a lot, they don't tend to have a lot of floor games, especially now with weapons. Because in the second half of last year, I know the Lions really took care of fields pretty well. He had nobody to throw to. So the Lions, second time they met too, were completely able to sell out. And Fields wasn't 100% in that game either. He came back from an injury probably a little bit too soon. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. We are in the midst of June, right? So it's it's probably more of dynasty draft season than anything else. But I've had more questions this week than I have in the past month about where's X player's value, where's Y's player value from a, a rookie draft perspective. And I think seeing where some of these guys go and redraft is actually helpful from a dynasty perspective, even if they're two completely different things. Yeah, B. John Robinson go number seven overall. No, it wasn't number three like uh, Alan Sazowski had, our own Alan Sazowski in the SiriusXM expert draft a number of weeks ago. But seven overall, pretty firmly in a first-round category. Jameer Gibbs went um, in the fourth round as well, too. I think uh, if I'm ballparking, like running back 12 or 14 range, okay, fine enough. This is a, a full-point PPR format with the NFFC. Uh, that's, that makes, uh, I think that's actually still value. Uh, and that was somebody's first running back as well, it, it, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. When it comes to a strategy perspective, was there any of the other rookies that you thought, oh, this guy got priced a little bit higher or didn't get priced high enough um, from this expert draft that you did? I thought Zach Charbonnet in the ninth round, there's going to be a lot of narratives on him. Now, the team that had Kenneth Walker drafted him, I my narrative on Charbonnet is that we know that Pete Carroll wants to run the football. But after Kenneth Walker, all they had on their depth chart was DJ Dallas, and you cannot do a running game through DJ Dallas. So I believe they did draft draft Zach Charbonnet to be a change of pace to Walker. But if Walker were to get hurt, the Seahawks don't have to abandon what they want to do. Now, my narrative could be wrong, but that's the narrative I'm going with. And in that case, I don't know that the ninth round is where I want him. I would prefer him a bit later. But the people who are going with the narrative that he's a co-number one, he in that case would be a value. So it really depends on the narrative. And then the other rookie was Anthony Richardson. And he went after Tua Tungo Vailoa, after Kirk Cousins. And um, that pretty much that was the tier he went after. And if you're playing in a league for $250,000, I'm taking him over Cousins. I'm taking him over Tungo Vailoa for sure. Because if I'm swinging in a big championship league, Anthony Richardson could have that rushing potential. Is it possible he doesn't start week one? Yes, it's possible. I don't think so, though. I think they had, they're going to, they have, right now, they have five viable tight ends on their roster. They might trim down to four. They have Jonathan Taylor. The run blocking was okay last year. The pass blocking was horrid. But it, with that configuration and an RPO based offense, Richardson can have an insane level of production. So, um, again, I mean, obviously, Cousins does raid ahead of him. For consistent, and he's not a consistent quarterback, but for floor, Cousins would be safer. So we don't know what we're getting from Richardson. But if I'm swinging for the fence, I'm taking Richardson a bit earlier. Yeah, I'm surprised actually. I mean, Richardson around 10, uh, okay, uh, fine enough. But he went ahead of Deshaun Watson, uh, Aaron Rodgers, which like two rounds ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Um, and even, even guys like Jared Goff, and that the person who took Richardson took Jared Goff as well, too. I like that stack, that idea, that combo a lot. I'm a little surprised to see the Richardson hype go that much higher. Maybe it's just that I'm fading. I'm I'm not fading the veterans nearly as much. Like I understand the rushing floor with what Richardson can provide. I also know the Colts tend to ease players into their roles and they kind of have to 
uh, to make sure that investment pays off. I, I don't know if Richardson in weeks one through four is winning you weeks, but it's kind of like Fields last year, where by week seven, eight, nine, you were starting him every single week and not only expecting him to get you 20 plus points, but to have difference making weeks in, in this kind of format where you're playing for the $250,000 grand prize. Once you advance into that portion, Richardson could be a difference maker. Round 10 is high for me, though, especially in a six points per passing touchdown league. Um, I, yeah, I, I think like a Dak Prescott as well, too, who went a little bit later on, Aaron Rodgers, I would take over them. But I get I get Richardson going over uh, Cousins. So what I'm learning, and we'll talk about this next week, is I have some differing on the quarterback rankings. And you specifically have done this now for a while and been ranking the quarterbacks. You'll be really curious to see where we end up lying with that overall conversation. So we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about circus sports real quick, take a little bit of a break in that regard. We are going to be approaching just over a month until the circus sports retreat for Vegas. I can't wait for that. It's going to be a great time to really dive into fantasy football, talk a lot of sports stuff as well with a lot of like-minded minds. And circus sports is the ultimate fantasy football draft location. Of course, it can only take place in Las Vegas. And they want to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at the Cabana Swim Stadium, plus limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sports book, and more. It's a prize pack valued at over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa Sports. You have to be 21 years and up to participate. Go to CircaLasVegas.com, C-I-R-C-A, LasVegas.com for more information. Um, Jim, you're not going to be there. We're going to be recording. Uh, well, you at least will be recording plenty of information. Hopefully we can get a live podcast at the Circa Resort. I don't know if the Circa managers can handle us. Certainly if they're giving Jim enough drinks, that'll be a great podcast. We'll have to see. 
I'm looking forward to that one as well. Any other thoughts on Circa, Jim? Now, enter this because Circa is a place you want to be as a sports lover, a fantasy sports lover. It is, in my mind, it's like the Mecca now if you're going to Vegas for sports. So definitely take advantage of this opportunity to try to get yourself and your league in this great spot. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Let's talk about the strategies. We'll, we'll get to what you did, Jim, specifically a little bit later on. I love analyzing these types of drafts because there's, there's stakes on the line for a lot of people. This is a high entry fee. You had one person take four running backs in the first four rounds. You had another person go four pass catchers and a quarterback within the first five rounds. There's a juxtaposition altogether. The person took four running backs also followed with five receivers, didn't take a quarterback until round 10, uh, a tight end around 11. Like we've seen those types of things we talked about. Overall, did you feel like there was a, a lean towards wide receiver heavy drafts and then running backs? Or was it kind of a combination of meddling of sorts, uh, a melding, I should say, of sorts with the ADP, what it was? You know, I'm just going to answer in a lateral way in that I just saw some very clear plans by different players and I don't know that people in this particular draft were necessarily being flexible because when we saw, like you had mentioned earlier, team six, team seven, go team six, only four running backs, five receivers. That was a clear plan. I was just stunned. He was able to get Deshaun Watson in round 10. I thought that was a great steal there. And then Chiki Akonko in round 11 is a tight end one. So overall, I mean, to put a roster together that way, it was a very interesting build. And you had mentioned earlier, it's other teams went wide receiver heavy, but there seemed to be some very definitive plans. There were some teams that really wanted to go after the stack, did that early. It was just a melding of draft philosophies. And But you could tell that these were high-end drafters. These are people that have been in plenty of drafts and – they were sticking to their guns, and it was impressive. Yeah, Team 6 in particular, a really interesting one. That goes back to the four running backs. So it was Eckler um, at pick, uh, let's see, seven, right? Yeah, four, five, six. Pick six, Saquon Barkley coming back in the second round. A third-round reversal gets Delvin Cook in like uh, mid, I don't know, 20, 28, 32 range kind of thing. And then ETN in the fourth round actually is a little bit surprising to me. I, I would take ETN over Delvin Cook, so to get the bowl feels like an absolute win in that regard. The receivers, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, George Pickens, uh, Jordan Addison, and Juju Smith-Schuster. So you think about that, Pittman around five, uh, Ayuk around six, Pickens around seven, Addison around eight, that that more or less makes sense. We saw Smith and Jigba taken around seven. That's high for me, giving you splitting time with Tyler Lockett, but I, I, I get there's like a, a rookie excitement premium type of deal with it. And Smith-Schuster in round nine, uh, you, can, you can cobble together a starting three receiver group again in the NFFC it's two running backs, three receivers, one quarterback, one tight end with that six points for passing touchdown for tight end. I love the receiver group. And it goes back to, I, I want to have a, a, a true high-end wide receiver one, but I will be completely content getting my quarterback um, in, in that middle tier and saying, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be my wide receiver three or whatever equivalent in your tier. We've talked about tiers a lot, Jim. Whatever receiver tier three is for you, I, I think that's, that seems to be the strategy, at least in these high-end formats. Um, and you kind of adopted that same mold. So you had Jamar Chase, obviously, in round one. You got Amari Cooper in round four, and then Mike Williams in round uh, in round six. Was that kind of your idea as well, that I want to mix in these running backs and get some higher-end receivers as well, too? Now, I was maybe the one manager in this league that I was going with 
the way the board was shaking out. Aside from knowing I would get Chase at number three, because I knew that Jefferson and McCaffrey would likely be gone, um, after that point, I did not like the receivers that were on the board at the end of the second round. And Nick Chubb, and we've talked about him on previous shows, I believe in this year's version of their offense. And remember, Jerome Ford's the backup, not Kareem Hunt. And they it potentially, if Deshaun Watson gets anywhere back to what we saw in his from his Houston days, defense are going to respect the pass and be concerned about it. Chubb may have a career year. And that's saying something because he's had some big years. But if he has room to run, the line is still very good. But I was very happy to take Chubb there. And then we talked about fields earlier. The quarterbacks were already going. And there were, I believe, four off the board. And at that point, knowing I was not going to wait, I wanted to jump on a quarterback there. But you did ask me about receivers. But I kind of like the Amari Cooper, Nick Chubb stack. Because if that offense goes off as I hope it will, those two, obviously Deshaun Watson would be a big part of that as well. Those two are the primary players, in my opinion, and that could be an unorthodox stack that could be useful. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about a little bit later. We mentioned last week DeAndre Hopkins, obviously a free agent. To see him go at the beginning of the third round, um, it's almost like you're operating on the assumption he's going to go land in a, in a fantastic spot and do not have that happen yet. It's difficult. Like if you were to go to the Browns, they rejoined Deshaun Watson there. That cuts into the Amari Cooper production a little bit. Um, I don't know if it hurts Nick Chubb per se, or if the Browns did sign a, a quality veteran backup uh, and and plan to operate the same as like with Leonard Fournette and Nick Chubb. I know your thoughts on on Leonard Fournette, obviously, Jim, but it, it, you would you would have him do some workload. So there's a little bit of you're you're risking it without getting any of that perceived value if they were to fall. But the way you were able to kind of get the rest of the board to shake out, it's really interesting. So James Conner um, goes in round five for you. We've, we've talked about James Conner quite a bit. If you're looking for a veteran running back, you have not been scared off whatsoever. Uh, despite the Cardinals, it seems like lack of interest in terms of participating this year. Then Mike Williams, uh, round six, again, is your wide receiver three. It's the Damian Pearson round seven. I'm curious, did you have to really think on that one? Or was it like, all right, no, this is what my board says. This is how I have my rankings going uh, as my running back three. Might share time with Devin Singletary in a bad offense that has, is going to be starting a rookie quarterback. None of that seemed to, to scare you off whatsoever. No, Damian Pierce, he performed exceedingly well. The games against the Titans, yeah, he couldn't run because nobody ran on the Titans. But he still put up like 15 PPR points in the one game because he caught the ball, he scored a touchdown, and then obviously he had an ankle injury and was shut down for the season. But Damian Pierce played extremely well, and they've upgraded that offensive line. I mean, I don't know if Shaq Mason's on the downturn because the Patriots let him go, and it's 50-50 on that. Sometimes they saw something and they get rid of him before it's a year too late. Sometimes those players still have a good year or two. Uh, Juice Scruggs they added to the line. Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon uh, Green is in his second year, and the tackle duo is outstanding. So this is potentially a better offensive line for Damian Pierce, and he is a strong running back. I, Devin Singletary, look, Buffalo was looking for somebody to take that role in that backfield. Singletary had three years. They never were excited about him. They could have easily kept him. They had no interest in keeping him. To me, he is going to be one of those just career backup type guys. If he ends up in a situation where, like in Buffalo, there's very few loaded fronts, he'll take you know get a few yards here and there. 
but I, I just don't think he's viewed as anything more than a rotational back. But um, Damian Pierce, I needed a running back there because, look, Connor's going to miss two to four games. That's just the way of life. Running backs miss time. Nick Chubb could miss a game or two. And I felt at this point of the draft, there was going to be a drop-off in starting caliber running backs, and I fully expect Pierce to be the lead guy, and I may need him for that depth. Yeah, I, I could absolutely see that. Um, Jamal Williams ended up being your running back for, I think, in round nine, around eight, around that same period. So you look at the running backs after Damian Pierce, and I think this is kind of the key point. So if anyone's uh, holding their nose and be like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm taking, I'm not taking Pierce that high. The Texans are going to be bad this year again. It's David Montgomery that was taken after. Then Rashad Penny, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I thought that was very questionable. You and I don't mind Antonio Gibbs, especially in a, in a full point PPR format, but it is Antonio Gibson. It's it's just that's that's a tough that's a tough sell uh, as your running back three. Samaj P Ryan we like a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I would take Pierce over P Ryan every single time. Kendra Miller, Elvin Kamara again. We we think he might be suspended. That's what the conventional thought process is and why he's fallen this far. James Cook, yeah, I'm out on that. Khalil Herbert. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, we talked with him too. You know, when it gets down to those running backs, Pierce is like clearly a tier above. And I and I can't help but circle back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Identifying where that tier ends for you at running back is a huge part because then you can be aggressive in getting that end tier running back and not having to swim in the depths of running backs below, which I think all those guys I mentioned clearly are. I mean, Pierce is a seventh round pick in this draft. And it was at the end of the seventh round. And, you know, again, maybe people have varying opinions on Singletary. I, I'm very firm in my personal opinion, which is we have our narratives. And if your narrative is not driving your draft, you can't go to the whims of, of the group thing. If that's the way you go, then you're just going to go where the group pushes you. So whatever you're going to do, be resolve, have resolve in your stance and follow through. But in the seventh round, it was unquestioned to give me a third running back at that point. So. And Jamal Williams, and I know they drafted Kendra Miller in the third round. I had him as a kind of a middling prospect. I didn't see him as a difference maker, at least right away. Jamal Williams is that guy. The coaches always love him. He was stealing work from Aaron Jones. He was stealing work from DeAndre Swift because he does everything that's expected. He's in the right place at the right time on every single play. He blocks. Um, he runs as the play is designed. He's reliable if needed in a pass catching role. He wasn't used that way last year. He's a very good short yardage runner. So Jamal Williams is going to see time because he's not old yet. He's getting close, but he is super reliable. Yeah. And, and a red zone guy too. I mean, you could maybe argue that's what Kendry Miller would do as well. Um, I don't know how long Alvin Kamara will be suspended or what that's going to look like, but you could make a case that Jamal Williams, if Kamara was going to be out for an extended time, he's the guy getting most of the workload. And maybe they have Kendra Miller uh, get short yardage stuff or goal line carries. I don't think it's going to be like a Tyler Algier situation with the, the Falcons last year where he's clearly the two-down runner and then they mix things around. And I think it's reverse. I think Jamal Williams would be that guy. So to have him as your running back four is fantastic. You had Gus Edwards significantly later in the draft end up being your running back five. I thought it was really interesting you only had five running backs total in this draft. Is it? It's twenty rounds, right? Or eight? No, it is twenty rounds, right? Yes, and there's Fab. So it, the weird as it sounds, so many running backs were taken, but there's going to be something at some point in the waiver wire, and definitely make a move that way. I'm excited about Gus Edwards. I mean, the group think is that 
oh, well, now Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator. There's going to be a 60-40 pass team. Pump the brake. Really, they were a 54% run team. They might go 50-50. They might even go 48% run. They're still going to run the ball a lot. And they've shown in the short time that J.K. Dobbins has been in the league, even as a rookie, they're going to manage his touches. They're not going to overwork him. Gus Edwards, people may not have been happy with what he did last year. He also was coming back from an ACL injury, just like J.K. Dobbins was. So if you don't give, you have to if you give one a pass, you've got to give the other a pass. Gus Edwards is going to get carries, and it's normally in the range of about 10 per game. And now maybe that goes down to eight because of maybe the added passing. But remember, J.K. Dobbins has not been the picture of health. Should he miss time, Gus Edwards is going to see a significant amount of work as well. Um, but a very, very solid running back, which is as a number five, you know, an emergency player. No, I, I think it's, I think that's fantastic. Jerome Ford went directly after. Did you get a little upset that you didn't, you didn't grab your backup to Nick Chubb, or did you say, no, it's fine. I, I wasn't planning on it anyway. So I would have taken Ford as my sixth running back five picks later. And when I was on the board, it was between Edwards and Jerome Ford. But here's what I'm thinking. If, if I have five running backs, and two of them are on the same team. I got one I can't use. You know, but if he's my, and, and it's weird, it's going to sound stupid, but if he's my sixth running back, I view the sixth running back now as that luxury one. I need five. There's going to be injuries, going to be bye weeks. But the sixth one, if I had Ford as my sixth, I don't mind having the direct backup to Nick Chubb at that point because I don't, I'm not counting on my sixth running back. So it would be that emergency, you know, break glass pick. But as a, is a five, it was like, I need my five. So let's play this thought process out further because people are going to laugh at you. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I know exactly what you're saying. You and I have done a number of expert leagues before. You are obviously super sharp when it comes to this stuff. When you see 20 picks, 20 roster spots, there are going to be some people, and this is not wrong. There are going to be some people that say, I need to get six running backs and seven receivers. And then two defenses, two quarterbacks, yada, yada. like they will map out what positions they have to have. And in a best ball league, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. But this is where we talked about a couple of weeks ago, being flexible with what you're seeing. It's not just the players and the tiers and whatever else, but your overall roster construction. I think this is the biggest bugaboo that I have with the articles that are like, all right, you're new to fantasy sports. This is what you need to do. You need to have in a 20 person roster. You have to have seven receivers and anything else is a fail. It's like, no, you, you have to be aware of what's happening in the draft, but also aware of how you're constructing your roster. Having that fifth running back matter is a very big deal. That's a bigger deal than having your second or third defense, which which you did. That's that's fine. Or having your second or third quarterback, fine. You you took Aaron Rodgers' significant value. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. It, it, I think that's the really big key point. So in reality, you can map out that I'm going to have 17 or 18 players more or less set with the positions I have to have. And it's the one or two other spots that are flexible. Maybe I end up having nine receivers. Maybe I end up having seven running backs. In this case, you had three tight ends, right? Like that's that's how you ended up being flexible and practice what you were preaching that you had only Gus Edwards as your fifth running back and weren't going to slave to the idea that you had to have a backup running back to your star and Nick Chubb. I, I think that's a really, really fruitful point. Um, and one that if you're listening to the show, you, you might not really kind of think through. Again, we, we preach flexibility following your tiers, but you're being flexible to your roster, not just who's available and following the draft board. Now, you mentioned the end of the draft. You did mention Irv Smith, and I got um, grilled for this one on the SiriusXM show with 
the high the high stakes crew, Tom Kessenick and Derek Buchar. Um usually don't take three tight ends in a league like this unless it's best ball. But here was my thought. It was round 19. There was not a player on the board I was excited about. Marvin Jones just gone, wouldn't want a player like that. Robert Woods, no thanks. Kenny McIntosh, Eric Gray went later, Allen Robinson, no interest in any of them. The reason I took Irv Smith, if Joe Burrow is going like last year, see a lot of coverage on his outside receivers. We know Chase is going to see a lot of double coverage. There are games where both Chase and Higgins get doubled. The middle of the field is open. We don't know if Irv Smith's actually a good player. We've projected things for him. He hasn't been on the field enough for us to see. But if he's a good player, and we'll know by week three, and if the middle of the field is going to be wide open, as I expect it to frequently be, Taking the 19th round pick on Irv Smith, knowing if he doesn't do something in three weeks, I'm cutting him and I'm going to the waiver where I'm getting a different position of need. But tr- if he comes out week one and week two, all of a sudden, he may be the best tight end on my team, even though I took Pat Fryermuth in the eighth round. Because that Cincinnati offense, Joe Burrow is not going to force the ball if he has somebody open in the middle of the field. And it's going to be a high octane passing game. So I think that pick, could end up again. I, it's purposeful. I'm ready to cut him. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, everyone's going to be like, Oh yeah, it's your, your 19th round selection, you know, go ahead and do that. That's a, a wasted roster spot. If it's, I'm sorry, it's not a wasted roster spot. If things don't work out, it's a pretty easy drop. Um, I, I was a little curious with how you ended up your draft. So just for the context of the listeners who aren't listening or looking at the draft board, Marquez Velda Scantling went around 17 for you. You took Richie James in round 18, Irv Smith 19, and then I think it's the Philadelphia kicker, right, um, in, in that instance in round 20. Okay. I'm looking at the receivers that were taken, let's just say, after MVS. So Claypool, fine. Hunter Renfro, okay. Tyquan Thornton, we're, we're hearing all this buzz about OTAs. Okay, let's settle down. It's two practices in June with your shorts on. I don't really care. Jade Breed, Richard Packers, whatever, Van Jefferson. I actually don't mind where you're going with the MVS selection, but I, Al Robinson is a proven enough guy in a scheme that if you believe Kenny Pickett's going to turn things around would be more valuable than a Richie James. So doubling down the chiefs receivers, I thought was really interesting. Can you explain that a little bit further? Yes. So here was a thought process. Again, I'm late in the draft. These are basically lottery tickets even. And I love Allen Robinson as a player, love him, but yeah, George Pickens, we got Deontay Johnson, we got Pat Fryermuth, and they got Najee Harris. How much are they really going to throw? I love Robinson. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But when I look at the Chiefs, it's like, Sky Moore was terrible last year. He may come out in the second year. Maybe they busted on the draft pick. And if they busted on the draft pick, Richie James showed way back, like five years ago in San Francisco, he can play. He just never really had many opportunities. And last year, he got an opportunity with the Giants. He played well. If he takes that slot role from Sky Moore, and don't discount it because James is a veteran. He knows how to play. If he gets a slot roll with Patrick Mahomes, that could be a really valuable spot. So I bet on Patrick Mahomes. And again, same deal like with Irv Smith. If Sky Moore takes the job, and I know that we're a fab before the season starts, I may dump James then. But if there's any uncertainty, and if James gets that role that late, and then Marcus Valdez-Scantling, I know he's the boom bust of all boom bust players, and he's a great best ball guy. You don't really like him in managed leagues. But before he got injured last year, he was on a run where he was getting 50 to 70 yards in a good number of games. 
This is a second year in the offense. It's possible that Andy Reid learned a lot about Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and maybe he is going to add to his role this year. And I could see that happening. And again, we have Patrick Mahomes, and they're going to throw a ton. And so, yes, I bet on the Chiefs here late in the draft. And as I'll repeat again, if it's clear that neither of those Chiefs guys have roles early, I'll just scrap them. The worst guy to draft late is the guy who you feel you got to keep on your roster for 12 weeks because there's what if, what if, what if, and he did nothing for you all that time. These are guys where, all right, bye. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, and I'm glad that you explained the, the Richie James thing through. I didn't even realize he signed with the Chiefs. I'm like, wait, how, how is that that possible? But you again, look at the receivers drafted afterwards, Claypool, Hunter Renfro, you know, Jaden Reed, Van Jefferson. Don't talk to me about Van Jefferson. I don't I don't believe that's going to happen at all. Um, like it, it was really only Allen Robinson, and that's off a of pedigree and name alone that maybe that ends up working out. The other part I thought was really interesting that played out how we have discussed over past podcasts was the wide receiver group in round seven and eight. And I'll just rattle off some names to you. You didn't end up taking, um, well, I guess maybe it was Mike Williams around seven. No. Six. Yeah, six. So, yeah, so so seven. Okay, so Gabe Davis, Kadarius Tony, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Smith Njigba, uh, Zay Flowers, Cortland Sutton, Jamison Williams, Rashad Bateman, Jordan Addison, okay, fine, Quinton Johnson. I mean, we have mentioned now ad, ad nauseum that I, I don't, at least I don't want to have receivers in that range. Like, it, it's, it's like that tier drop is so significant for me. And to the point where I will take uh, the Smith Schuster's who went afterwards. I will take the Darnell Mooney's who went afterwards. J- uh, Jacoby Myers. I like Romeo Dobbs who went around 13 or 14. It's Rasheed Rice as well. Same thing. I- I'm I'm almost certain I'm going to end up getting my wide receiver three. <clears throat> well, at least my wide receiver four and five, maybe even my three in round 10 and later, because it's this tier of guys that they all feel the same to me. And I, I don't know who really separates out of the group. Other than I don't feel comfortable going with any of them over the running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks that will make my overall roster look better. Like I know I'm going to get a receiver later on that I, I feel very comfortable with that will be a difference maker. I can't say the same about quarterback, running back, and tight end, which is why I'm going to keep pushing those guys up based off the draft board I'm seeing right now. You know, Joe, last year we had the running back dead zone. I think it was rounds four through six. And you can make a case for any one of those guys to have that big season, but there were cases they'd have a bad season. Well, based on that mindset, the wide receiver dead zone is what you just identified. It's round seven through nine. Could Kadarius Toney have a superstar season, 1,300 yards and 12 times? Yes. Screaming yes. Can he also miss 12 games at injury? Yes. So, and then Jordan Addison, love the situation. You know, hey, playing across from Justin Jefferson, and that may work out beautifully. But again, he's a rookie. We're not quite sure what we have. We, you know, we're not sure Kirk Cousins, you know, up and down game to game and EJ Hawkinson, but all the other receivers in that group there, it's the wide receiver dead zone. We can make cases for seven or eight of them, but there's a, just as big of a downside case as there is an upside case. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Um, I guess before we end the show, is there any overall interesting points that you found from this draft? Again, one of your first expert big money league drafts that you participated in. This offseason, was there any strategy that you've seen someone deploy that you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to start copying that or I, I like that sort of idea. Any big overall takeaways from the Beach Jim Coventry draft that took place this past Wednesday? I mean, the one thing I'll reiterate, when you're in a league that has a grand prize, don't necessarily feel forced 
to stack, but when the opportunity is there for a smart stacking situation, it is worth doing that. When we had these teams at 11 and 12, went with the Diggs Allen, the Hurts, A.J. Brown stack. Those were reasonable. Again, this is a six touchdown, six points per passing touch, at least when the quarterbacks went higher. But if the stacking is smart and it doesn't ruin your roster construct or take away with what you wanted to accomplish, then stacking is a good idea. The team that actually took Allen and Diggs later took Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid. And what was interesting there is if one of them becomes the primary slot receiver, and I know Kincaid was drafted as a tight end, but the talk is they may use him in the slot. If one of those players emerges as a regular slot, that's a third wheel on that Buffalo stack that is interesting. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I guess Team 4 specifically was really interesting to me. Like, What happens if I do take a bunch of receivers early, take a quarterback early, and take a tight end early? And that thought process played out at a premium, I feel like. So Travis Kelsey won in the first round right after your pick at uh, Jamar Chase. So Kelsey 4, Jalen Waddle, Metcalf for the two receivers, second, third round. Lamar Jackson in the fourth round. So at that point, no running backs yet. You'd think, let's go ahead and overreact. Well, no, Christian Watson was a double down of that. Then there was the pounding of running backs. So Joe Mixon, Rashad White, Rashad Penny, A.J. Dillon, four of the next five picks were at running back. You follow up a, a little bit later on, Devin Singletary, Tajay Spears, uh, two rounds after that. A mixing in sporadically of Elijah Moore, Adam Thielen overall. But I, I kind of like that mold. Now, I, I would... Maybe be less aggressive instead of taking a third receiver. I might go running back. So instead of that Jalen Waddle spot, I would take a Nick Chubb. Still, still feel very comfortable with DK Metcalf and Christian Watson as my wide receivers one and two. And let's just say I'm going to get uh, Juju Smith Schuster or that tier as my wide receiver three instead of one of these extra running backs. But looking at how the draft played out, and again, these are expert people, or at least there, there are stakes in the line to the point where they're not just uh, punting on this draft or doing it for whatever X, Y, and Z reason. But there, there is deliberate thought process behind it. I really liked that idea. And it gave me faith that, hey, yeah, if you take Kelsey in the first round, there's a way to really make the rest of the roster fleshed out overall. Yeah, I think that we put a real nice bow on the overall draft philosophy and playing in differing types of leagues. Next week, we're going to talk about your rankings overall. And obviously, we've been mentioning tiers and how we're going by position per round and being flexible. I think putting that to the test with your rankings, Jim, is going to be the exciting part about all this. Obviously, as we're getting closer to fantasy draft season, those rankings are going to change. We're going to have more information when training camps come out and uh, later on in the OTAs. But right now, excited to dive into what you really have for your rankings thus far. So that's up next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Wordwire Podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. We'll talk again next week.